Um, have you ever heard the phrase, in the doldrums? Anyone? Okay, some of you are under 30, haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. Some of you over 30, you know what I'm talking about, maybe over 40. Okay, have you ever felt in the doldrums? And actually, it's a term that describes a feeling of flatness, listlessness. And here's a word that isn't a word, fed upness. You ever felt like that? It's just like you just can't explain it, but you're just kind of there and you just feel in the doldrums. And you just can't articulate why or how you got there, but you're just fed up. You just feel flat. You just feel like, is this as good as it gets? Anyone ever felt like that? I mean, I didn't feel like that when we were worshiping. God, did you? But actually, when that drops down, you, that feeling sometimes can be there. But, you know, I discovered, and maybe you've already known this many, many years, but I discovered this week that that term has its origins in the world of sailing. That the doldrums is a real place along the equator where the north and the southern hemisphere air currents and clouds collide. And they collide in such a way that it creates a whole space called the doldrums. And um, here's a picture uh, of it. There even. There's not a picture. There's a picture. So literally across the equator. And it refers to this place where these, these clouds and these currents collide and they create unpredictable weather. It's called the intertropical convergence zone. ITCZ, that's interesting, isn't it? Just Google it and it's there, okay? It's more feared for sailors than the Bermuda Triangle. Why? Because when your ship gets caught in the doldrums, you're going nowhere. When your ship gets caught in the doldrums, you are going nowhere. There's no air, there's no breeze, the next picture, there's no wind in your sails. The danger is when you're in the doldrums, you can drift almost anywhere. It's interesting, isn't it? When you're in the doldrums, you can drift almost anywhere. Drift describes a way of living that is all too common for human beings. And unfortunately, it's all too common for us as Christians as well. We can find ourselves in the doldrums where there's no wind, there's no air, there's no breeze, and we can drift almost anywhere. Talked to a friend of mine this week who, yeah can't even go there who's drifted almost anywhere and um, you know Paul when he writes to Corinth at the church at Corinth he says you are neither spiritual nor worldly you're a mixture of the two Jesus said to the church at Laodicea you're neither hot nor cold you're a mixture of the two you're lukewarm often the doldrums is a result of weariness and spiritual fatigue and we find ourselves in a place where, where we're a mixture of the two. Do you know what I mean? We're not necessarily sinful, but we're certainly not on fire. We're in that place where there's no air, there's no wind, there's no breeze. And we drift almost anywhere. And then in that place, we can drift to a place and we think, how on earth did I get there? How on earth did I get there? Well, you got there because you stayed in the doldrums way too long. And you see, what we think as Christians, the next picture, is that we think the answer is more effort. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If we could just blow harder, then it would happen, you know. And uh, how many of you know that ain't going to work? It really is not going to work. In fact, the doldrums flourish and get stronger when we focus on doing rather than being. When we focus on the external rather than the internal. When we would rather do something than be something. That's when the doldrums get a real grip. Pause that thought. And then I want us to think another thought and I'll connect the two up. And then we're going to see what God wants to do. The word spirit in the Bible is mentioned more than 800 times. 
Here's the thing. When the English translation of the Bible happened with the King James Version, it translated the word spirit, okay, or, or the Hebrew and the Greek word, into the word spirit. The problem is the Hebrew word and the Greek word are different words. And we only had that one word, spirit. And the Hebrew word for spirit most often used is ruach, which means a violent exhalation, a blast of breath, a strong wind. The New Testament word most often used for spirit is pneuma, which also conveys breath, current of air, a strong breeze. Now, King James fans, please do not stone me, but the King James translation into Holy Ghost is not all that helpful in my considered opinion, okay? It isn't. Because it gives the idea that the Holy Spirit is somehow a ghost. And that's not what God intended us to see when we look at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. It's a person. Okay, not male, but a person. It's got a character and shape. But actually the most definite description or the best description of the Holy Spirit is literally a breath of fresh air. And in God's economy, what he wants for human beings is a breath of fresh air, which is why when he created Adam out of the dust and there was no life in him, he put his nostrils over his nozzle and he breathed the wind of God, the ruach, and there was a breath of fresh air and man came to life. Which is why when, Je when Jesus uh, was resurrected and came back to the disciples and, the, and, and Thomas said, I haven't, I, can't, I haven't seen you, I wasn't here when you resurrected. Then he showed him his hands and his feet. And the Bible says in John 20 and in 21, he breathed on them. He breathed on them. Which is why in Ezekiel 37, you get this picture of Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones. And he says, breath, speak, prophesy. And you get breath into life, a breath of fresh air. How many of you know when the Spirit is at work within us, He brings life, freshness, puts wind in our sails and energy in our lives. He is a breath of fresh air. Can I get an amen? He's a breath of fresh air. How many of you know we need that in our lives, don't we? A breath of fresh air, not something whimsical, not something ethereal, not something ghost-like, but tangible, a breath of fresh air. We need it in our marriages, guys. We need it in our marriages, a breath of fresh air. We need it in our families. Dare I say, we need it in our churches and we certainly need it in our communities. And we're going to be praying later on for that as we head up to Easter for a breath of fresh air to come into our communities. For a breath of fresh air to come into our marriages. For a breath of fresh air to come into our families. For a breath of fresh air to come into our churches. For a breath of fresh air to come into our lives. But what are the implications if the Holy Spirit is best described as wind? And yes, he's fire and he's oil and he's dove and I understand all that. But if in the true sense of the word, he's best described as a breath of fresh air, what are the implications? Wind is unseen. We see the effects of it, but faith has to be at work here. Which is why, again, when Thomas couldn't see, didn't see Jesus resurrected and Jesus came back, he, he showed him himself, but then he commended those who hadn't seen and yet believed. Because wind is unseen. Secondly, wind is unpredictable. Any golfers in the house? How many of you know that wind is unpredictable? And when you're out on the golf range and, you, and wind, or out on the golf course rather, and wind comes, it's unpredictable. No matter how great a golfer you are, you don't know where your shot necessarily is going. Wind is unpredictable. And there is one instance where the word spirit is translated as wind in John 3 verse 8. When Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus and he says, Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. It's unpredictable. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. That makes the Holy Spirit uncomfortable at times. But that's important. 
Why is it important that the Holy Spirit is uncomfortable at times? Because without this uncomfortableness, we get the sense that the Holy Spirit is almost like controllable and into our system. And whenever we think that, we're in big trouble. Whenever we think the Holy Spirit is at our disposal and we can make him do exactly what we want him to do, we're in big trouble. But let me say a few things, okay? The Holy Spirit is wow, but he's not weird. He is supernatural, but he's not spooky. And whenever people, and I've been around long enough to know things of the Holy Spirit can get weird and can get spooky. How many of you know that's true? And when it gets so weird and so spooky that you have to explain everything to people who maybe don't know God, then we're in trouble. The Holy Spirit is wow without being weird. He is supernatural without being spooky. But we cannot just control him and make him fit into our system. We have to give him space. We have to give him space to be himself. And, uh, you know, finally, the wind wind is powerful. Wind can generate electricity. It can sail a ship. It can destroy a city. Wind is powerful. Jesus says in Acts 1, 5 to 8, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, are you going to do something? Jesus is saying, I want to be something. And they're saying, what are you going to do? Do you know what I mean? That's the problem, isn't it? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So listen, if you're a new Christian or not such a new Christian, do not get caught up with trying to work out the signs at the end of the times and when Jesus is going to come back. Because Jesus says, that I, not even I know that. Only the Father knows that. Don't worry about that. Just get on with letting me put wind in your sails and being the kind of person that I want you to be. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And many of you in this room will know the experience, the experiences of being filled with the Holy Spirit, of having that breath of fresh air come into you. Isn't that right? And it's a powerful thing. And if you're in the doldrums tonight, if you're in the doldrums at this stage of your life, the answer is not more effort. The answer is more surrender. The answer is not more effort. The answer is more surrender, more invitation, more God, here I am. Would you breathe your breath in me? Would you put wind in my sails again? Would you put fresh energy in me again? Only you can do that. And sometimes we have to come to the end of ourselves to start at the beginning of where he is. And he comes in by his breath of fresh air. Charles Finney, very famous evangelist, um, say very famous, you know, he is if you read these kind of things. He said this, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. For I could not express it any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for that, aren't you? We need a breath of fresh air in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our churches and in our communities. And without it, we have nothing to give. We have nothing to give. And over at Easter, we're going to go and we're going to do some social action and we're going to have some fun and we're going to communicate the gospel. But without the breath of fresh air, we don't have anything of real substance to give. We really don't. Lots of other people can do most of that that I've just said. But with the breath of fresh air, we have something to give. Many, many years ago, um, many, many years ago, it sound really old, like two years ago. No, it was a long time ago. Um, I was heading off to a conference, the other side of the Atlantic. Um, and uh, we were going to a conference where, it, you know, 
God was moving and, and lots of people had heard about this place. And I won't even say what the place is, but it begins with T. And we headed over to this place in Canada that's called Toronto. And um, we, we headed over and I was so excited. I was very young at the time and I was really excited. And I, in my head, as I sat on the plane, it was literally, I'm going to go over there and God, you're going to do something amazing in me and I'm going to bring it back and somehow I'm going to give it to all the people in the church. And as I sat on the plane, as we began to taxi, the woman said, the stewardess said what they always say. I've heard it hundreds and hundreds of times, but for some reason, God spoke to me on this time. And she said, in the, in the likely event of an emergency, the oxygen will come down from the front. And then she said this, if, it, when, if that happens, take the mask. And if you're traveling with a child, put it on the child's face first before you put it on mine. And at, the st- at that stage, this was in the, in the kind of late 90s, I was a, me and I said, I got two little boys. And I sat there thinking, I wouldn't do that. If we were in turbulence and if it was all kicking off and the mask came down, I would first think about my kids. I wouldn't think about me. And then I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. If you don't put it on you, you've got nothing to give your kids. If you don't take a breath of fresh air, you've got nothing for anybody else. And it's exactly the right advice, isn't it? It's counterintuitive because we want to give it to other people. But it's almost like God said to me when he did say to me, you, Leon, need to learn to breathe yourself or you've got nothing left to give anybody else. And I've never, ever forgotten that story because without a breath of fresh air, we've got nothing to give. Without a breath of fresh air, we have no power, no wind in our sails. You know, I'm right now going through a whole season of my life where I'm doing something that I haven't done for a period of time. Some of you might do this all the time, but I'm re-going over some ancient wells for me. And I start every day by praying in tongues. And some of you might not do that. That's absolutely fine. You can. Okay, and we can help you with that. But I'm finding that there's just such a power and an energy coming when I'm bypassing my mind because I've got so many things going on in my mind. And I'm just letting God, the Spirit, work through me. And without it, we have no power. Without it, we have no power. And without a breath of fresh air, we will drift aimlessly stuck in the doldrums. Who wants to be there? Nobody. Nobody wants to be there. So as we approach this next two weeks and Easter, is it time for us to ask God again for a breath of fresh air? Don't stay in the doldrums. If you're in the doldrums, do not stay there any longer. You don't have to. You really don't have to. Ask God for a breath of fresh air. And when that happens, I'll tell you, that is as good as it gets. When you know the energy and the wind of God in your sails, that is as good as it gets. I want to ask the band to come back and we're going to spend some time and worship and pray and receive from God. And there's an incredible verse that I want to read over you, almost as a kind of a a blessing over you and, and a prophetic statement. And it's from 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, and it's from the Message Translation. It says this, May the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Isn't that a beautiful verse? May the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this, morning, this evening that you are such an amazing God. God, thank you that, Jesus, when you left, you said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send my spirit who is just like me. He'll be this comforter. He'll be this paraclete. He'll be this one that comes alongside. He'll be this fire. He'll be this oil, but ultimately and, and he'll be this wind, this breath of fresh air wind in our sails God I want to pray tonight that as we begin to prepare and as we are preparing for Easter 
when we remember your death, your sacrifice and your resurrection. God, you entered the world as a baby. You left the world as a saviour, but you sent your spirit as this breath of fresh air. That God, that we would be as we were created to be. That just like you breathed that life, that air into the first man and he stood. God, you want to breathe your life into us. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here that's in the doldrums, God, I pray that we would come out of the doldrums in Jesus' name. We just All we do is raise our sail and say, God, here we are. All we can do is raise our sail and wait for your wind to blow. God, we're not going to try and do what that little guy did on the cartoon and blow really hard and try really hard. God, we're not going to try anything. God, what we're going to do is just be available, just be open, surrender. And God, we're going to say, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you fill this place? Would you fill this place? We have nothing to give our community outside of your breath of fresh air. And God, when we head out in over Good Friday and Easter and all of that, God, I pray that as we go out to pick litter up and to paint people's fences and to dig people's gardens and to have fun with families, you know, in the fun day and to communicate on Easter Sunday. God, as we do all of that, God, we've got nothing to give without your breath of fresh air. But God, I pray that with your wind in our sails, that we would be a breath of fresh air into our community this Easter time. But God, we've got nothing to give unless we're receiving. So Holy Spirit, we say, would you come? Would you come and fill us? Would you come and breathe your breath of fresh air in Jesus' name? Why don't we stand and worship Him and see what He wants to do?